Ho, 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 and welcome back to the Curiosity Chronicles, a holiday edition of the Curiosity Chronicles. We are jumping into an episode, kind of a sundry stuff episodes, but focused specifically on Christmas traditions and the origins of those traditions. It is December, just seems fitting. I'm in a very festive mood. It's after Thanksgiving, which means it's a Officially the Christmas season. I'm wearing a Christmas sweatshirt. I just came back from a Christmas slash holiday parade. Snow was falling. Kids were jolly. We were soaked by the time we were done because there was snow everywhere. It was amazing. It was so much fun. I get to come home, pour myself a drink, and talk about Christmas. Tomorrow I'm getting my tree, setting up lights on the house for the first time ever. I am a New homeowner was not able to set up lights last year because we had barely moved into the house. It's a great day. I love Christmas. I love talking about Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. So let's do some more talking. This is the Curiosity Chronicles. I am Brett Bilesma, your host of this podcast. And this is what I was curious about this month. Okay, so everybody, I'm guessing, knows the religious aspects of Christmas, what Christmas is all about. And so I'm not really going to delve into that. Obviously, we're going to hit a lot on it because a lot of the origins of Christmas traditions revolve around religion, but we're not going to talk. This isn't a, this isn't a theological podcast. Skip over that part. But why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25? There is nowhere in any type of historical record that gives us any type of date for the birth of Christ. So why December 25? That's definitely not... I guess I can't say definitely not. But it's very unlikely that was the actual birth. Most scholars believe, for whatever reason that Jesus was born sometime in the spring. And early Christians didn't even celebrate the birth of Christ. They celebrated the death of Christ, Good Friday, Easter, the resurrection. So early Christians weren't concerned about it, which is probably why it was never written down and there's no type of historical record of it. But December 25 became, quote-unquote, the birthday of Christ. And there's a couple reasons that could have cropped up. The Roman Christian historian Sextus Julius Africanus somehow, I don't know how, but he dated the conception of Jesus as March 25. And I didn't dig into how he came up with that. That wasn't really the point of this podcast. I wanted to keep this kind of more light and just hit a few topics here and there and do an overview. And if you want to look into it more, feel free. But he came up with that. Maybe he just pulled it out of his you-know-what. But if you count nine months from March 25, you get December 25. Assuming that Jesus was born exactly nine months after he was conceived. 
December 25 would be his birthday. Hence, that's when we celebrate Christmas. Seems highly unlikely. But it is a possible origin story, at least, for why Christmas is on December 25. More likely is this other story. In the 3rd century AD, 3rd century AD, the Roman Empire had not yet adopted Christianity. They were still celebrating pagan religions. And they celebrated a festival which was something they considered the rebirth of the unconquered sun. That was the festival name. And they celebrated that on December 25. It was longer days after the winter solstice. And it followed the festival of Saturnalia. And during Saturnalia, there were gifts and feasts. And it was very similar to the type of Christmas celebration we have now. The church in Rome formally began celebrating Christmas on December 25, 336 AD during the reign of the Emperor Constantine. And Constantine was the emperor that made Christianity the religion of Rome. So there are many that speculate that Constantine purposely chose to celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25 specifically to politically weaken his rivals. He wanted to weaken the established pagan traditions and instead help to establish Christianity as the religion of Rome. That one makes more sense. That one makes a lot more sense. But even with Constantine giving his blessing, so to speak, to Christianity and trying to start this tradition of celebrating Christmas, the birth of Christ, on December 25. It really wasn't for many, many years later, until the 9th century, that Christmas became a major Christian festival slash holiday. So, long story short, not really sure why we celebrate on December 25. I'm not sure anybody does for sure, but the most likely case is that... The new Christian emperor was attempting to weaken the established pagan traditions. And so he substituted Christmas on December 25 to, sub to replace the festival of the rebirth of the unconquered sun. There you have it. Now, of course, we cannot talk about Christmas traditions without talking about arguably the most recognizable symbol of Christmas that is the Christmas tree. Where did the Christmas tree come from? How did that become a thing? Because evergreen trees, wreaths, and garlands have been symbolic since ancient times. The ancient Egyptians, Hebrew, and Chinese all used the evergreen tree or wreaths to symbolize eternal life. And tree worship was a common practice in pagan Europe. And that survived the conversion to Christianity, not the worship of trees per se, but using trees as a powerful symbol. And in the Scandinavian countries, there is a custom of decorating the house and barn with evergreen at New Year's to scare away the devil. That is a tradition that was way back in the past. But where did the modern Christmas tree, how did these ancient customs coalesce into 
putting lights and decorations on a tree that's in your house to celebrate Christmas. And it originated in Germany. The modern tree originated in Germany. And it started in part because of a popular medieval play that was about Adam and Eve. And that play had a prop of a fir tree hung with an apple. And it was called the Paradise Tree. And Germans started to set up paradise trees in their homes on December 24, which is the date of a religious feast in honor of Adam and Eve. And they hung it with Eucharistic wafers, and then later cookies and candles. The candles were a symbol of Christ. And then in the same room, there was also something called a Christmas pyramid. That was a triangular construction of wood that had shelves on it that would hold a Christmas figurine, some evergreen things, candles, and a star. So they had the paradise tree, and they had the Christmas pyramid. And then in the 16th century, for whatever reason, the Christmas tree and the paradise tree merged and became the Christmas tree. It didn't really catch on right away. That was the 16th century in Germany, but it did over time start to become more popular. Christmas tree became popular outside of Germany in around the 19th century, spread to Victorian England. German settlers, however, did bring it to North America as early as the 17th century, but again, didn't catch on with the rest of the melting pot in North America until the 19th century. But once it caught on, became very popular, as of course we know you can't hardly, there's hardly a house that doesn't have one nowadays. And then over time, once the Christmas tree became more popular, you had ornaments, tinsel, beads, all the decorations that came along with it started to become more popular, especially as they became easier to mass produce and became cheaper. People started decorating instead of having the more religious Eucharistic wafer cookies, candles, especially candles, they started to become just more ornamental as opposed to religious. And then nowadays we, of course, know about artificial trees, but it wasn't until the 1930s, but then especially in the 50s and 60s that artificial trees caught on and became extremely popular, especially as those were able to be mass-produced as well. So from pre-16th century Germany, paradise tree, to artificial trees nowadays. That is the story of the Christmas tree. Along with Christmas trees, we got to talk about Christmas lights. Christmas lights started out as a tradition of lighting candles, and a tree would usually be set up in a home's parlor, and the patriarch of a family, the the father or the grandfather would light the candles, call everybody in, they would look at them, oh, pretty, oh, cool, and then they blow them out, because, of course, you know, fire. And the candles were lit to signify the light of Jesus in the world. But the obvious downside of lighting candles 
anywhere, but especially in an evergreen tree, is the risk of fire. So there were obvious reasons to move on from candles. And that happened when a man named Edward Johnson, who incidentally was a friend of Thomas Edison, came up with the idea of replacing candles with electric colored lights. And so he created a string of eight bulky pear-shaped lights on a single wire and used them to decorate a tree. Didn't catch on at first. This was still early on in the days of electricity. Americans especially were somewhat distrustful of electricity. <laughs> Sounds funny to say now, but different times. But beyond that, these string of eight lights were very expensive. This was early days. It was a new invention. New inventions, always more expensive. Not many people could afford them because at the time that they were produced, they're about the, the they were as expensive as about a week's worth of wages for your average adult working in America. So not many, many people are going to be buying those lights. But the idea was planted in people's heads. It became a way forward. In the 1920s, General Electric started to produce pre-assembled lights. And they were mass producing them. They were much more cheap. They were more accessible. And people started to be able to afford them, use them to decorate their tree. And Grover Cleveland, President of the United States, helped to make Christmas lights popular just before this was happening because in 1895, he used them to decorate the tree in the White House. So right at the end of, oh boy, the 19th century, I had to think there for a second, centuries always mess me up, and one. Right at the end of the 19th century, Grover Cleveland popularized them and then early 20th century, they are easily accessible and cheap and families started to buy them up and started using them to decorate, which is good. House fires are bad. Pretty lights on a Christmas tree? Nice. I said that the Christmas tree maybe was the most popular symbol of Christmas, but I may have been wrong about that because now we're going to talk about Santa Claus. I don't know if Santa Claus is a symbol or I don't know what you call them. But anyway, very big part of Christmas. Everywhere you look, you see Santa Claus, you're telling kids stories about Santa Claus, Santa Claus is coming to town, there's songs, everything. So how did that all come about? Well, we can trace it back to the third century. There was a monk named St. Nicholas. Makes sense. You know, old St. Nick, Santa Claus. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, St. Nick, St. Nicholas, was believed to be born in what we would call modern-day Turkey. He was much admired for his kindness and piety. Which makes sense. You're not going to have Santa Claus be named after some greedy, lecherous monk. That seemed over the top. Anyway. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway. St. Nicholas, very kind, very pious, and he was very generous. There is many legends about St. Nicholas. And I say legends because that far back in history, of course, things get blown out. Nobody, it's hard to 
say what's true and what's kind of true and what started out as true, but then ballooned with hyperbole to become a legend. So these legends are attributed to St. Nicholas talking about him giving away all of his inherited wealth, traveling to help the poor and the sick. And as time went on, his popularity grew. He became known as the protector of children. I think he is still considered the saint protector of children. So St. Nicholas, definitely a real guy, as far as I can tell. Like this isn't some made up story that has become kind of myth and legend. St. Nicholas, as far as I can tell, definitely a real person. The stories attributed to him, yeah, that's where you kind of get into the realm of myth. By the Renaissance, he was the most popular saint in Europe. Of course, he was long dead by this point. But he was the most popular saint in Europe. And even after the Protestant Reformation, his popularity was still off the charts. And that continued in Europe. Also moved over to the Americas in about the 1770s. St. Nicholas, quote-unquote, came to America. But the transfer transfer from St. Nicholas to Santa Claus, you can thank the Dutch. You're welcome. I am 100% Dutch. In my mind, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Except for all of my listeners who are not Dutch. I think you're all wonderful people. You're the best of the best because you listen to my podcast. <laughs> but anyway, the Dutch are the, the reason behind the Santa Claus name. If you look at the Dutch name for St. Nicholas, and, and I'm going to butcher this, I do not speak any foreign languages, Dutch included, but it would be St. Nicholas. And that was often shortened, shortened, excuse me, to Sinterklaas in English, Santa Claus. So, that's where you get the name of Santa Claus. But that, what's going on with the look of Santa Claus? How do we get big belly, red face, big white beard, holly jolly, ho, ho, ho? Well, that started in 1822. There's an Episcopal minister named Clement Clark Moore. And he wrote a poem entitled, An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas. And I would wager that almost everybody listening to this podcast has heard snippets of that poem. But we know it as Twas the Night Before Christmas. And that one poem is largely responsible for the modern-day depictions of Santa as the jolly old elf with a sleigh and reindeer bringing gifts to children. And on top of that, especially... Uh, especially contributing to that depiction is in 1881, Thomas Nast, a very famous political cartoonist. He's actually the cartoonist that came up with the elephant as the symbol of the Republican Party. A little fun fact. He's a very well-known cartoonist. He used Moore's poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, to create the image of Santa Claus that we see today. Rotund, cheerful, white beard, sack full of toys, bright red suit, 
the whole nine yards, elves, Mrs. Claus, North Pole, like everything came from Thomas Nast's cartoon, which was drawing on Twas the Night Before Christmas. So it's like two people. It's kind of funny. Like two people basically shaped our modern understanding of this immensely popular symbol of Christmas. And they probably never even knew it. But that's where Santa Claus comes from. St. Nicholas, poem, cartoon. Now, going along with Santa Claus, a little short little snippet about gift-giving. Where does gift-giving on Christmas come from? Uh, That, as I kind of touched on earlier, most likely a leftover festivity from the Saturnalia Roman festival where they would give, give gifts. But also, it could possibly have started as like a remembrance about the story of the birth of Christ and the Magi, the three wise men, uh, the wise men, <laughs> never actually says there was three of them, if I remember correctly. We just assume for some reason because there was three gifts. But the Magi brought gifts to the baby Jesus. And so in remembrance of that event, we give gifts to our friends and loved ones to celebrate Christmas. Now you know. Okay, moving on to... An awkward tradition. Mistletoe. I always thought mistletoe was awkward. But it is this Christmas tradition, I guess, for weird reasons. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, let's talk about mistletoe. Where did that come from? You can tell I was never the guy underneath the mistletoe. <laughs> Both by choice and by fate. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mistletoe was a cure-all herb. It was given to cure any type of ill you might have had as far back as to the ancient Greek times. But it wasn't until the first century AD in the Celtic Druids that mistletoe started to get romantic overtones. The plant blossomed all year round, even in winter, even in cold, harsh winters. And so the Druids saw it as a symbol of vivacity, vitality, and administered it as a treatment to cure infertility. And this association with fertility, fertility and vitality continued through the Middle Ages and beyond into the 18th century where it widely became incorporated into Christmas celebrations. And I don't know, I, I couldn't find any research. The articles that I read basically kind of were like, I don't know how it happened. But it's not known exactly how the leap from sacred herb to holiday decoration was made. However, the kissing tradition, kissing under the mistletoe, started in England among the servants, and then it later caught on with the middle class. And the tradition was that a man was able to steal a kiss from a woman standing under mistletoe, and it was considered bad luck to refuse. So, weird tradition honestly, just kind of like pops up out of nowhere. It's like someone just decided, hey, this is a Christmas thing now, and everybody was like, all right. So that's mistletoe. Sacred herb. Now, holiday kissing tradition. Another kind of funny story is stockings. The tradition of Christmas stockings. You hang your stockings over the fireplace or on the wall or anywhere in the house, and Santa Claus will come and fill it with toys. 
Where did that come from? That also based on the legend of St. Nicholas. So there is this story of St. Nicholas that says that as he was traveling from town to town and helping the poor, it was always done somewhat anonymously. He did not want people to know that he was the one giving the presents because he was such, such a humble man. And so he would often give presents to someone at night, kind of sneak it into their house. And the legend always said that St. Nicholas won't come to your house until you were sleeping. He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, in his travels, once upon a time, he met a man who had three daughters. And this man was not able to provide a dowry for his daughters, which means they were not able to marry. And in some of the more realistic, gritty versions of the story, since these girls could not marry, they were soon going to be forced to prostitute themselves. St. Nicholas stopped at this merchant's home and heard the story, felt bad, of course, because he was such a humble, pious, kind man. And so later that night, he went to the merchant's house, he took three bags of gold, one for each daughter, and he threw those bags down this merchant's chimney. And as it so happens, these daughters had hung their stockings up to dry, the stockings that they actually wear, you know, not, that's not as common of a thing anymore, but you know what I mean. They'd hung them by the fireplace to dry. And wouldn't you know it, one bag of gold landed in each of the girls' stockings. When they woke up, there was their dowry. Huh, funny how that works. Anyway, the story spread. And soon it became a common thing for children to start hanging up their stockings in hopes that they would start getting presents from St. Nicholas. And then that just evolved into the tradition we have now where Christmas stockings are hung as decoration. And on Christmas morning, presents appear in them. I don't want any kids listening to be spoiled. I don't want the surprise to be spoiled. Santa Claus is definitely bringing those presents. If kids are listening, it's definitely Santa Claus putting that gifts in your stocking. <laughs> anyway, I, will, I honestly, I'm not sure kids should be listening to my podcast. It's tame, but not that tame. Anyway, finishing up here, I know I, of course, live in the United States. I do have some listeners around the world. I'm sorry that I cannot dive into your traditions, but you know them. You live them. But I did want to talk to my American listeners a little bit about some traditions around the world. Just a very quick overview. And if I butcher any of these, I apologize. But in Australia... Christmas, you know, they're in the Southern Hemisphere, of course, so Christian, Christian, Christmas is in the summer. So traditionally, there may be lunchtime barbecue, might head to the beach. Father Christmas, as they call Santa, may show up, uh, might be wearing uh, shorts and carrying a surfboard, maybe even surfing right up to the beach, probably not going to be in a sleigh. And then there's also the Carols by Candlelight celebration in Australia uh, that is apparently very popular. Singing carols by candlelight. 
That seems, I guess I didn't really need to explain that one. So that's Christmas in Australia. Uh, in the Czech Republic, there's a big celebration on Christmas Eve. There's a traditional feast where a fried carp is apparently served. Norway, there is the tradition on Christmas Eve to hide all the broomsticks in the house so that witches and evil spirits won't be able to find them and fly away with them. And there's also, oh boy, again, I hope I don't butcher the pronunciation, something called Riskrim. Riskrim, R-I-S-K-R-E-M. Chilled rice pudding with a berry sauce. And there's a single blanched almond, almond, excuse me, I always pronounce that word wrong, almond inside and whoever finds the nut gets a small prize and is blessed with good luck. Surprisingly, the longest and most lavish Christmas season in the world is celebrated in the Philippines. Holiday light displays, masses, festivals that last from September through January. So they really go all out in the Philippines. And something you might see during the Christmas season is a special Christmas lantern decorating towns and hung around villages. It's made of bamboo and paper. It's called a parol, P-A-R-O-L. Terrible. I shouldn't, I shouldn't even do these things. I just sound dumb. I don't speak foreign languages and I'm not very good at pronouncing them apparently. But that's the Philippines. Pretty awesome. I think that'd be really fun to be in the Philippines during the Christmas season. Just really go all out. And then Christmas crackers in the United Kingdom. This is one I've seen on TV. All of my pop culture reference, all of my knowledge of United Kingdom culture <laughs> comes from Doctor Who, which is a terrible, terrible reference. I know, since it talks mainly about aliens and other worlds and things like that. But I feel like I get a little bit of an idea of the culture in England. And one of the things I saw in Doctor Who once was these Christmas crackers. And I was like, what in the world is this? So Christmas cracker, according to the BBC, quote, three chambered cardboard tube wrapped in brightly colored paper that is twisted to connect the two outer chambers to the middle, end quote. Inside that middle chamber is a small toy or a prize or riddle joke. And then there's a paper crown. And there's a cardboard strip with a teeny, tiny, tiny explosive charge that runs along the inside. Two people grab onto each end of the cracker and they tug on each end and that kind of sets off that tiny, tiny charge and it cracks and a cracker breaks into two pieces. And whoever is holding the side that is still connected to the middle chamber wins the prize. And they wear a paper crown and that is from the ancient Roman Saturnalia fe festival again uh, where they wore decorative headgear. Well, that's like you know, little fun facts about some of your uh, Christmas traditions around the world. I know there might be people listening from the UK. Got uh, actually fairly large listenership relative to my total listenership from the United Kingdom. So love you guys. Thank you. Uh, but anybody listening from the countries I just mentioned, if I did not get anything correct or you want to talk about other traditions, I would love to hear about it because Christmas is the best. Hit me up on Facebook, Curiosity Chronicles on Facebook. Please reach out. I would love to hear from some of the listeners outside of the United States because I'm not actually sure that you exist. I feel like my my hosting website is, is lying to me just to make me feel good. But that is a little bit about Christmas tradition around the world and Christmas 
tradition origins. And that's also the end of season one of the Curiosity Chronicles. It has been a full year. Started this in January 2021. It's now December. I made it. And I'm going to keep going. Season two starting in January. Going to be awesome, I hope. I don't know what direction I'm going to go. But I'm just going to like start pumping out episodes again. I'm going to keep doing it until I run out of ideas or until I got nobody listening. Whichever comes first. Can Cannot wait. Thank you for sticking with me for a year for growing. I keep seeing the number of episodes, num- number of people listening to each episode getting bigger and bigger, small little increments, but it's, it's happening. I'm very excited about it. So, hope you have a wonderful December going into the new year. Looking forward. Let's make 2022 the best year yet. And I will see you in the new year. But I'm going to leave you now with the immortal words of Kevin McAllister. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. (laughs) 